So if recess is a hell zone, human nature is like, I don't want to be anywhere near it. So what's the thing that helps kids stay active and build valuable life skills? We're going to talk about that next. And now it's time for another edulicious episode of the Bedley Brothers Podcast, bringing you what's current and what works in education. Here are your hosts, Scott and Tim Bedley. Bedley Brothers, Bedley, Bedley Brothers, bringing education information like no other. Bedley Brothers, yep. Bedley, Bedley Brothers, bringing education information like no other. Yep. First name Bedley, last name Brothers, bringing education information like no Yeah, other. that's right, Scott. I cannot wait for this today. Uh, one of our favorite topics. We're going to be talking about, should we tell them yet? Or keep it a secret? Well, you know, it's the kickoff to our spring season here. So um, maybe let's make them wait a little bit. Okay, okay. Well, you're just going to have to stay tuned for a few more minutes before you find out who our guest is and what we're talking about today. But first, uh, Scott and I, well, let's introduce ourselves for those people that don't know. Scott, who are you? I am Scott Bedley. I am a 4-5 combination teacher in Southern California. Tim, I'm in my 25th year in teaching, dude. It's so weird because you're only so old. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And uh, yeah, I'm Tim Bedley. I teach fifth grade in Lake Elsinore, California. And I've been doing it for 30, almost 31 years. What? Yeah. That's weird. Hey, Hey, I heard you had a tip for us today, Tim. Yes, uh, I've got a little Mainly because you told me. <laughs> uh, well, okay, so here's, it's, it's, I don't know if it's so much of a tip, it's more of a story that's kind of got a tip built into it. So Scott and I, this last week, we're talking to uh, some staff members, some leaders at this company called Learning House. Uh, they have this website that um, has advanced courses. I think that's what it's called. Advancement courses. Advanced, that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah courses and uh, learning about this awesome uh, website and this awesome program where you can take classes online to, you know, that you have to take as a teacher for your credential and to move over on the pay scale and stuff like that. You can get university credit and the cost of it and all this stuff. And it's, it's just awesome stuff. And so I, I could not even tell you I mean, I've been teaching for 30 years. I'm not worried about this stuff right now. I'm not taking courses. So I, I could not tell you the last time I learned about something like this and on that topic. The very That very night that we talked to them, I get an email that was blasted out to our staff by one of the teachers on our staff who also has been teaching for a real long time, but her daughter just started to teach. And so she sent out an email saying, does anybody know of a place where you can take advancement course to, to move over the pay scale? I got an idea. It's called advancement courses. That's right. So uh, anyway, I emailed her right back and said, as a matter of fact, I know a great place. And uh, she was stoked for, you know, the idea and sent it on to her daughter. So anyway, I just thought that was kind of a fun small world thing. And, uh, you know, it's a good tip for our listeners to go check them out and uh, see if that might help you. And Tim, they have this thing called the, the Tournament of Teachers. And so it's like that whole March Madness things where they're pitting different experiences teachers might have versus one another. I've got to get my readers on here, folks. I'm like reading another reply all email from a colleague versus reading an inappropriate email from a parent or student that they accidentally sent to you. So who's going to win? You go there, you vote. You can, Tim, they're giving away 
you have a way, way better chance of winning than probably every bracket out there, but they're giving away things like a thousand dollar Amazon card to, um, yeah, right. I'm in, I'm all in on that. Yeah. yeah. That sounds fun too. I mean, you know, like voting on teacher stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and all the topics are really funny too. Super cool. So how do they, do you have any idea on a website or like, uh, yeah, I, I think if they just search, if they just search advancementcourses.com, advancementcourses.com, it'll bring them there and there's a link to the tournament and they can check out what, you know, what classes and things like that they're offering there. Cool. Awesome. Well, on with today's show. And so today on our show, we have the founder of the uh, awesome organization Playworks with us, Jill Violette. Did I say your name right? It's just Violet. Violet. Oh, yeah. Well, that's easy. I want to pronounce it like I took French in school. So I uh, to... yeah. Hey. <laughs> Violet. Okay. So Jill Violet uh, is a social entrepreneur. She's been doing that for over 30 years. She started her first nonprofit 23 years ago. It was a children's art museum up in Oakland, California. Perhaps some of you have been there because it's still around. And she launched Playworks at about that same time, 23 years. No, no, no. So let me just, I, I messed you up in the chronology. I was 23, year old, 23 years old when I started oh, MoCA. There we go. You told me that, and I was the one that messed it up. You were 23. This is like the magic yeah. numbers. Uh, Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Okay. <laughs> when you were 23, you launched this. Yeah. It was about 10 years ago, right? Okay, hold on. I'm 23. <laughs> Let me introduce myself. I'm 23, and I launched MOCA, the Museum of Children's Art. Ran that for nine years. And then because of what I saw happening at schools, launched Playworks, which, right. and I happened to also be pregnant with my oldest kid. And I've been doing, I've been running Playworks for 23 years since that. So I was kidding. Okay. Oh, I got it. I got it. A little slow on the uptake here. Sorry. <laughs> when you were 23. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, it is great to have you on the show today. Uh, and we are excited to talk about play. So why don't you tell our, our audience, first of all, who are almost all teachers, educators, why would they be interested in Playworks? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I think teachers, I think maybe right after kids are our single biggest uh, proponents because basically Playworks, we started 23 years ago because I was out visiting a school um, where MoCA operated. And um, what I heard from the principal was that recess was hell. That, um, that that these same kids were kind of getting into trouble all the time and that she was really worried because they were starting to see themselves as bad kids. Mm -hmm. So just at that one school we started, uh, I, I played college basketball and I hired a woman who I'd played ball with to go in and to sort of be almost like a camp counselor at, at lunchtime and recess and to really help get games set up, to really put the kids in position to make great play happen, to help them develop the skills so they could make it really work, all in the sort of spirit of having kids really feel seen and happy and engaged in school and, and ready to learn, right? So when they go back from recess back into the classroom, they are the best working partners that a teacher could hope for. Yeah, that's so cool. 
I think that that playtime is so valuable at the at recess and uh, lunch recess. Um, so take us from there. So you start that off, and then you're like, I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna do a nonprofit about this. Or? Yeah. Well, so the Mocha was a nonprofit. So I had nine years of experience running a nonprofit, and we built uh, Playworks as a nonprofit organization. And because really, like we knew that schools could contribute to the cost of paying for staff to do this, but that schools are so strapped to resources that it was going to be important, especially to serve schools in mixed income communities, oh. to be able to really attract philanthropic dollars as well. So uh, started just in a few schools in the Bay Area. And then it was wild, like almost immediately, my phone started ringing off the hook and principals would call and say, hey, we heard you're fixing recess. Uh, we want in, like what's what's involved? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I can imagine it didn't stop ringing for a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, today we have 23 offices across the country and uh, staff about 650 people and we're reaching about 2000 schools. So it's been a pretty wild ride. Wow, so what, what specifically is wrong with the recess? You know, I wouldn't say anything is necessarily wrong with it. Like that's not how I'd characterize it. I'd say we're living in this like wildly changing world. Like uh, I'm about the same age as you all, maybe uh, as you both are. And when I grew up, I played outside every day after school, um, all summer long, you know, the weekends, largely unsupervised, like mixed age groups of kids. And like, not to get super nerdy, but like, if you think about John Dewey and everything he wrote about the power of informal education versus formal education, and how a hundred years ago he predicted that as we got more and more obsessed with formal education, like the in-class, same age learning, um, that informal education, the ways that communities sort of teach their newest members, the social mores and all that kind of important stuff about how to get along, that he said informal education would fall away. And I think that's really happened. And I, I, I'm not big to blame video or screen time. Like I think screen time has sort of filled the vacuum that playtime used to, like outside unsupervised playtime used to really occupy. And, and so now teachers, schools, they get kids who show up and they haven't had older kids teach them the rules to games and how to resolve conflicts with rock, paper, scissors, or really even just basic stuff around self-regulating and getting a game going and ending a game. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is, this is right. Tim, could this be more right up our alley than? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh, totally it. And I, I think Tim always shares a story like, you know, when we were growing, I hate to do the when we were growing up, but when we were growing up, <laughs> I'm gonna do it anyways. But when we were growing up, Tim always says, where the pile of bikes were is where all, all your friends were. Right. You just had to ride down the street and see where the pile yeah. of bikes are. Right. Now, like I, for me, I teach in a city that's like ranked number one by FBI as the safest place in the world or something crazy right. like that. And you drive down the streets and they're empty. Yeah. And the kids aren't out there. And you, you try to send your own kid out and there's no one for them to play with. Yeah. So they just come back in and they hop on those screens or they want to do something that's more isolating. Right. And um, it, it's it's really interesting, um, a, a interesting kind of a problem, but we do believe schools can have an impact on that. Yeah, it's really nutty. I actually blame, I blame the milk carton thing. Like, yeah. I don't know, do you remember when they started putting the missing kids on the milk carton? And then everybody got so paranoid and freaked out. And there's this great woman, Lenore Skenazy, who does the whole thing about free range parenting. Right. And, and so Lenore is like, she's always pointing out, 
it's so much more dangerous to drive your kid around in the minivan than it is to let them walk or ride their bike or like, or take the bus or like, it's, it's a really, it's a weird misperception about what it means to actually be safe. Mm. Yeah. We want our kids to be safe. Right. But I also, I'm cool if my son breaks his arm. (laughs) Why, why would, uh, what kind of life is it to live if you're just like bubble wrapped, you know, right. who wants to live that life anyway? Right. Do you remember that scene from Finding Nemo and like the little fish is talking to the Albert Brooks fish and, and he says something like the, like Albert Brooks says, I just didn't want anything to happen to you. And like the little fish says, but dad, that means nothing's ever going to happen to me. Like it's, yeah. it's, that's really, I mean, I know, the, you know, quoting Finding Nemo is maybe not that, but anyway, yes. No, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> So now tell us what exactly, what, what does Playwork sure. do to make an impact into schools? Can you give us some examples of the kinds of things that you guys are doing in, in the schools, working with the principals and the, and the teachers and the students and so on? Yeah. So we have a range of services. And like I think one of the important sort of transitions we made maybe like five, six years ago, we, we started with this full-time model, right? We'd hire these amazing, earnest young adults a lot of whom actually went on to become teachers, right? In fact, yeah. And 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 so we would train them a lot like you'd train camp counselors, right? So they knew how to get games going. They would teach the kids rock, paper, scissors. They'd organize these groups of kids that we call junior coaches, kids who were naturally displaying leadership talent, although sometimes they were using their superpowers for good and sometimes not so much, right? All those kids are leaders. like. Put them to work. Give them a chance to shine. Right? More love, the better. Sure. Um, and so, and our person would be on on site full time. So before school, running before school recess, helping with free breakfast program, um, working with the classroom teachers to uh, take kids out for classroom game time if they had time, and and that worked with their schedule. Added all the recesses. So for really big schools, it was like recess, 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 recess. Um, and then running after school programs. Right. Introducing kids, the older kids, to competition by like doing interscholastic basketball leagues or co-ed volleyball. Um, All of it combined to really leverage the power of play for kids to find the best in themselves. And the other thing that I just think teachers always say is that what we find is that having playworks in the school, right? Giving the kids these, this sort of sense of agency that they are drivers of their own education when they're out on the schoolyard and having that spill into the classroom. Um, and, and, and creating this virtuous cycle on the playground that feels good. Like most, really the vast majority of teachers that I know get into teaching because they love kids, they love education, they wanna, Mm -hmm. but totally also human beings. So if recess is a hell zone, human nature is like, I don't wanna be anywhere near it. Whereas what we see all the time is when you create this virtuous cycle on the recess yard, teachers come out and they get to play alongside the kids. They are human with the kids. They engage with the kids. The kids see them as like, whoa, you know, that teacher's got game on Foursquare. Like it's really, <laughs> it's a total, it changes everything. What are your representatives actually doing that's like different than, than maybe uh, yeah. an average teacher or principal would be doing? Like I'm trying to picture, yeah. You're saying that these people are in the schools, but what do I'm, what am I going to see right. doing with the kids? Right. Okay. So if you went out to like a recess, um, our coach would have um, set up maybe four different game stations, right? And the junior coaches would be at those game stations and they'd be reminding the kids, okay, we're going to be playing four square here. 
don't, uh, you can only bounce once in the, um, you can bounce once in the square and then it has to, like reviewing the rules. And if a kid started to get like, lean in like they were gonna maybe squabble or whatever, the junior coach would say, wait, wait, do rock, paper, scissors to decide who was in and who was out. Like building in that kind of kid driven, kid led, and the coach is supporting the kids because ultimately there's so many trivial conflicts that come up and that are so easily go awry. And if you have some like an all purpose problem solver like rock, paper, scissors, you can actually winnow out the 90% of like really silly, useless conflicts. Cause there are 2% of conflicts where having a trained, caring grown up who leans in like, wow, you called him a really unkind name. Let's wow. talk about like what's going on there. Like that's a conflict that really deserves grown up care and attention and, and helping kids feel safe. And like they have the tools at their disposal to negotiate that. So our person's getting games going, helping keep games going, supporting the junior coach is really, really owning it and, and making it safe and inclusive. Jill, going back to something you said um, about teachers, I think what Tim and I have seen and heard from many teachers who participated in Global School Play Day is they found that love again for kids yeah. that had been squashed by all the curriculum and the standards and the testing and the stress. And they just said, oh yeah, I'm working with kids and this right. is awesome. Because right. <laughs> they get to see them play and they're so, when after they get past like the boredom stage and they figure right. out like, we can just play, Yeah. then you get to see, oh my gosh, how creative they are and how, yeah. how they can solve problems without yeah. an adult having to manage every single step of the way. Right. Right. And, and I think what I love is that you created is something that fosters that on a daily basis, which is really the intent of, of what Global School Play Day is about is, is having the kids take that and advocate at home to go outside. Yeah, say, I want, we want to be outside and playing while we're down. We don't need to be on our phones and devices or whatever it might be, but just yeah. give us some free time to play. And it's funny, I, uh, two things about this. One, I say this all the time, but like delight is in short supply right now. And mm -hmm. like, I think the more delight and the, you know, we all should have it in our work lives and our school, you know, it's like more delight is always better. And then the other thing I say is like, so I have five kids, right? And I always love my kids, but when they're squabbling or like bickering or just, they're being like, just difficult. I don't enjoy them as much. I don't like them as much. And like, it's, it's like, it's verboten to acknowledge that students are the people that teachers work with. And you want the people you work with to be happy and joyful and resolving their own conflicts and behaving kindly to others. And so if kids come back in from a recess experience that was icky and they have unresolved conflicts, you make it extra hard for teachers to do their jobs. Hey, Jill, how much do you think um, the short amount of time kids get for recess impacts the, yeah. the chance for them to actually solve their own problems? Yeah, for sure. I mean, what we know from like studies about other countries, like frequent small breaks is actually really great. We've been, I've had some experiences like where we were in a New Orleans charter startup that was like doing this weird scheduling thing where like they had an hour for recess. And I never would think that I would say this, but I think it was almost too much recess. Like it was too, like, it was like, but like frequent breaks where kids get 15 to 30 minutes to run around and play um, make all the difference in the world. I'm also a giant along the same lines, a big fan of recess before lunch. Like you let kids go run around, they, and then they sit down to lunch and 
you know, they have to wash their hands in there somewhere, but they sit down to lunch and they socialize and they talk about what just happened on the playground. And then they finish their lunch and they have this human interaction before going back to studies. There are all sorts of ways to design the, the features of the school day to make it more kid friendly. <laughs> love that idea. Now yeah, we, we do that at our school actually, Tim. Oh, you do? Oh yeah. We have uh, recess play time before they eat yeah. and it's really true. It's, uh, they do get that time to sit and socialize after. Yeah. Okay, well, my takeaway. I'm going to go back to my principal tomorrow. <laughs> the bell schedule, though, is like so sacred. It's so hard to mess with oh, the bell yeah. schedule. I'm like, ah! <laughs> Bill, um, talk to us about how schools love to ban games. I know at my school, uh, you know, there's no dodgeball, there's no tag, there's no, it's like, every, it seems like every year we add another game yeah. that we're not allowed to play with, the, you know, the kids aren't allowed to play because one kid got hurt right, right. one time and they went up to the nurse's office. It's almost yeah. like the, the uh, health technician at your school decides the rules of what you can do on the playground. Yeah, we, we talk about this all the time. I am in a sort of controversial stance, pro-dodgeball. But I think, <laughs> I don't know, I'm, like, I'm going way out there. But I, I think the, the key is, right, it, it, it raises this larger question about, like, what's our responsibility as grown-ups, right? Like, I feel like our responsibility as grown-ups is to create the foundational conditions and the environment where kids understand and are comfortable with our interdependence. And they understand going into any game, dodgeball, tag, whatever it is, that for this all to work, we have to take care of each other. And, and so you don't just start with dodgeball, right? You have to build trust and rapport. You have to build a whole way of being where kids actually feel like they are drivers of their own education out on the schoolyard. Like you have to build the preconditions and you also have grownups who are norming the social and emotional skills that actually make this emotionally safe, right? Like, and, and, and I think actually emotional safety, ultimately in terms of Maslow's, Maslow's you know, hierarchy of needs and what it takes to actually learn, but that's, that's real. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jill, uh, <laughs> Boy, we could talk to you about this all day long. I know, me too. <laughs> uh, we're going to switch gears with you, though, right now, and we're going to practice what we're preaching. Uh, <laughs> play a little game with you. We're going to we're going to do a little recess now, take a break from our work. Um, so, Jill, your awesome organization, PlayWorks, encourages schools to teach kids to get, play games fairly and safely, rather than banning games. So, today, we're going to ask you three questions about school playground games. Okay. All right. We're calling our little game that we're playing with you about games. Kids play the darndest things. <laughs> okay. Scott, why don't you tell our audience who Jill will be competing for today? Jill, you're competing for Dana Lavecchio, a first grade teacher in Santa Clara, California. If you're able to answer two out of three questions correctly, Dana, yes, Dana will be awarded a free download of an album by the ridiculously popular edgy rock band rocking the standards. <laughs> Woo! Oh, Scott, I, I missed that when we uh, take time off in between our seasons. Okay, so, <laughs> Gil, here we go with your first question. What game recounted in Mark Twain's Tom Sawyer involves throwing of knives at the ground? You know, that goes on on playgrounds all the time these days. Uh, throwing of knives at the ground as close to the feet as possible, and then removing the knives with one's teeth. Oh. A. 
Dabby Wabbers. Is it B? Mumblety Peg. Or is it C? Snorkel Dork. <laughs> Believe it or not, one of those is correct. I'm going to go with B. Mumblety Peg. Well, did you know that already? I, I vaguely recalled it. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. That's awesome. Oh. I couldn't even pronounce it, let alone know what it was. The Mumbly. stumbling helped me. That seemed like a give. That seemed like a tell. Oh, darn it. <laughs> I got to work on that, Tim. Yeah, Mumblety Peg. Okay, well... Uh, second question for you. The popular playground game, Foursquare. Oh, like I bring this. I'm so excited about a Foursquare question. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. <laughs> it likely had ancient origins, oh. but the version children play today uh, came into popularity after the 1940s. Hmm. What was this modern version originally called? Is it A? Box ball. Is it B? Square ball. Or is it C? Snorkel dork. <laughs> I'm going, these? Like, I'm psyched about these. I'm going to go with A, box ball. Oh, man, you are good. <laughs> you know your play. Okay, well, we'll try this last one on you anyway. See if we can okay. see at least once, okay? Okay. In 2011, the New York Department of Health included tetherball on a list of games that pose a, quote, significant risk of injury. Oh. I have been injured playing tetherball, I have to admit. I actually have jammed a thumb yeah. once or twice. Uh, yeah, you shouldn't play it. If you ever get hurt at all, that means you don't play it, right? <laughs> Nobody rides bikes, you know. Okay, so which of these other common kid games was not on the 2011 banned games list? Okay. Because we're going to give you three, and two of these were actually on the list, okay? okay. Got so it. Was it a? Wiffle ball. Was it B? Freeze tag. Or was it C? Rugby. I'm going to go with rugby not being on the list. C. <laughs> you know, that's right. But it's so ridiculous to think about that. I, yes, that is. But I, I love that. Yeah. I was like, I wanted to say Wait, the ball wasn't on it, but I knew I had to think like the Department of Public Health there for there a second. No <laughs> way, really bad wiffle ball. That's the best game like ever ish. <laughs> ish. <laughs> somebody might get hit with a plastic bat. Right. <laughs> anyway, true. Scott, how did Jill do on today's uh, little game that we're playing? Jill, you are legit. You got three out of three correct, and that's good enough to be a winner. Oh, Congratulations. Nice. You won absolutely nothing. But Dana in Santa Clara, she just won a free download of Rock in the Standards album, Education Rock and Roll Music for all learners. Right on. <laughs> Go, Dana. Dana's a former Playworks coach. She became a teacher. So I was like, this oh, Very um, cool. Very cool. All right. So, Jill, why don't uh, we're going to wrap things up here with you, but why don't you let our listeners know in case they haven't caught it yet uh, website information, Twitter handles. Uh, sure. Book anything that uh, people can learn more about uh, PlayWorks after. Sure. Well, our website is great. Uh, it's PlayWorks.org, and we also have a resource called RecessLab.org that has all sorts of free uh, videos and this really amazing self-assessment test that you can really look at your own recess and um, and assess it, and then based on how you do, we'll send you some free supporting materials about how to make it better. So. RecessLab.org is a huge resource. And if I had one ask for everybody today, that was to check RecessLab out. 
Um, we're also on Twitter and Facebook. Um, if you search for Playworks, um, our Playworks has a, a site for Facebook and, and Playworks is also on Twitter and Instagram and all of our local regions, you know, our 23 different offices, they all have uh, sites too. Um, so we are there. I would want one final pitch. Um, I've been working more recently based on my experiences with Playworks on addressing the issue of substitute teaching and how we might actually think about redesigning that to make it a better experience for everybody. And the new, uh, new nonprofit that I launched for that is called substantialclassrooms.org. And people should check that out. Um, would love to get feedback. Yeah, we read it. Maybe we need to have you back on to talk about that too. Would love that. Yeah, that would be great. All right, recess so lab. So Tim, I'm I'm going to recess lab because that sounds awesome. You will love I'm going to fill out my brackets <laughs> on the tournament of teachers because there's crazy prize. That was the only thousand dollar prize was only the first prize. There's a bunch of prizes after that too on advancement courses. And Tim, you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to play. And speaking of play, why don't you remind our audience about the greatest day of the school year of every school year? Well, it's the first Wednesday of February. The next one upcoming will be in 2020. So if you're listening to this show after February 5th, I believe, 2020, you'll have missed it for that year. But you could do play anytime. Global School Play Day, though, is an effort to educate the world how important unstructured play is for kids. And last year, Tim, in 2019, we had over a half a million kids from 72 nations participating in Global School Play Day. Thanks to the teachers like you who are listening, the principals like you who are listening, the educators out there that are listening to this. Thank you so much for supporting this for kids because it is vital. It is not frivolous, and we believe in that playtime for kids. Right on. So go to globalschoolplayday.com, sign your class up, your school up, your district up, your state up, you know, whatever you, you want to sign. Let's hit a million, man. 2020, a million sounds gotta good. Got to hit a million in 2020. It's a bunch of round numbers. So, uh, yeah, sign, sign your class up now before you forget. We'll shoot you an email when the date approaches just to remind you about Global School Play Day. You can connect with classes all over the world and talk to them about play and the importance of play and how kids play in your community, in your school. So uh, go check that out. We also have a ton of resources on there about play. We've got research on play. Uh, you can see what schools and classes did in the, in the past. Uh, so just a great, excellent resource. Uh, and uh, yeah, check us out on iTunes. Uh, where else? Stitcher. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> Hit the subscribe button. Give us a review. Uh, please give us a review. That's how we get word out about the show. If you enjoy this show, and uh, we really appreciate everybody listening and uh, and being involved in our social community as well. So thanks again, Jill, for being on the show today. Thank you. All right, and thanks most of all for listening and watching. Maybe mom, mom, dad. Thanks, thanks for watching, mom and dad. Thanks for watching. <laughs> Getting her done. Big Ron here. Getting her done. Think I might change my name to Ron Bedley. So I could be one of those Bedley brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bedley brothers. Bedley, Bedley brothers. Bringing education information like no other. Bedley brothers. Bedley, Bedley brothers. Bring